Turn with me, if you would, to the book of 2 Kings, chapter 22. I'm not going to read all of this, it would just be too much, but we're technically covering a story that goes from chapter 22 through chapter 23 in the book of 2 Kings. What I'm going to do is really just hit the highlights and kind of tell the story as we go. But you can be turning there, 2 Kings chapter 22. I was really praying over what to share going into New Year's, tomorrow being New Year's. And and then I thought, well, the big thing for New Year's is resolutions. And then I said, okay, I'm, I'm not going to do that. Everybody does resolutions. So I'm not going to tell you what your resolution should be. That's something personal. In fact, you could be like me. I don't make resolutions. You end up dropping out about 8 to 12 weeks in anyways and then feeling bad for breaking the resolution. So just don't make any. Then you don't break any resolutions and you can move on about your life. But rather than resolutions, uh, what I want to talk to you about this morning, though, for a new year coming up, is this idea of maybe instead of resolutions, we need a reformation in our personal lives. Or I'll go ahead and use the word a revival, a personal revival. My question would be, are you as close to God as you would like to be? Or would you like to be closer to God in the year 2024? Are you as faithful to the Lord as you would like to be? Or would you maybe like this year to be focused on more faithfulness to the Lord? Maybe someone's here that says, if I'm honest, I have somewhat strayed from my walk with the Lord. I believe, I maybe even still call myself a Christian, but I'm just not where I need to be and who I I need to be for the Lord. We're going to kind of hit on those questions this morning because my prayer for you personally and our church collectively for 2024 is that starting with me, it starts with me. So I'm not just going to tell you I'm, I'm living this too, but starting with me and then to you, my prayer is that we have a personal reformation in our lives, a personal revival with my life and then you that would bleed over into this church. And what we're going to do is look at a story from King Josiah found in the book of Kings. In this story, what I'm going to do is hit the highlights and show you different things that he did, and I'm going to relate them to the point of the message about having a personal reformation. What King Josiah did, to give you the big picture real quick, is he came on the scene and he reformed Israel, rather Judah to be technical. He reformed Judah and brought Judah back to faithfulness to the Lord when they had strayed very, very far away from the Lord. And I just want to show you the steps he took to reform Judah back to faithfulness. And I believe wholeheartedly they can be applied to us in our personal lives. If we'll do these things, if we'll follow these steps, I believe they're the sort of the pathway of starting to be on a personal reformation. So it's kind of the title of the message is reforming your life, taking your life back to be better on your walk with the Lord. Let me read the first few verses of this in 2 Kings 22 verses 1 through 2 and then I'll pray. If you would join me in standing for the reading of God's word. And it begins that Josiah was eight years old when he began to reign and he reigned 31 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Jedidiah, the daughter of Adiah of Bosketh. And he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and walked in all the way of David his father and did not turn aside to the right or to the left. Pray with me for a moment. Lord, I ask that you would now focus 
my thoughts and all of the things I've studied, that they would come out clear. And Holy Spirit, that you would just impact every heart and mind here with your truth, Lord. And that the people that came here would be blessed for having been here and that they will walk out of here having heard what they needed to hear this morning, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thank you, you may be seated. So this idea again, reforming your life. How can I reform my life in 2024 and get to greater levels of faithfulness and service to the Lord? Uh, king Josiah here is obviously my favorite king in all the Old Testament. I, it's literally where Josiah, my youngest son, gets his name from. And I want to talk about this king this morning here. King Josiah fascinates me because his story begins when he was eight years old, it says he took the throne of Israel. Rather, I keep I keep saying Israel, and that's actually not technically right. So let me clarify something. At the time that Josiah was here, Israel had had a civil war, and they split from the northern tribes and the southern tribes. The southern tribes were just Judah and Benjamin. That's where King David reigned from and all these things and Solomon and all. After Solomon, though, his son started a civil war. Josiah comes here, and he is the king over the southern part of Israel, Judah and Benjamin. His grandfather was named Manasseh, and he was wicked. And the Bible says he was so wicked that in his reign, God swore in his wrath that he would judge Israel. In fact, he said, I'll judge Judah so harshly that when people hear about what I've done, they'll, they'll just be so shocked that that could have ever happened to Judah. God said, I will hand them over to a more powerful godless nation to discipline them. Manasseh died and his son Ammon took over. Ammon was so wicked, his own servants plotted his assassination and they killed him. Well, that left Josiah, this eight-year-old boy, his grandfather so wicked, God swore judgment was coming soon. Then his father Ammon is so wicked, he's killed while he's a kid. Well, per the law, Josiah takes over, though, but he's eight. So he would have had sort of a mentor kind of keeping things in order until he come of age. But that's technically when Josiah took the throne. And I want to draw your attention to, again, he's had a grandfather and a father terribly wicked, terribly wicked. They have led Judah completely astray from the Lord, off into all kinds of sin, worshiping all kinds of false gods. They've polluted the temple with all kinds of pagan furniture, altars to these false gods. They are completely as a nation far removed from the Lord. Well, here comes Josiah, this eight-year-old kid expected to take over the throne. And here's what he does. The assumption would be that he follows in line with his grandfather and his father because that's the only example he's seen, right? Is wickedness. But he does the exact opposite. I read to you the first two verses where it says in verse 2, he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and walked all the way of David, his father. Notice that in verse 2, it sort of never refers to Ammon as his father, who was his biological father. It says David, his father. Now, David was generations ahead of Josiah. Josiah had never met David. But the Bible's drawing our attention to Josiah walked in the ways of David, though. A man after God's own heart, it says. So Josiah followed David, not his own father and grandfather. It says some words here I want to draw your attention to. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. He walked in the ways of David and did not turn aside to the right or to the left. 
Now here's our first point then for how do I start on reforming my life? It begins with simply this. You need to commit to seek God. Seek the Lord. It sounds simple. We'll break it down, but there's a lot to it actually. So how do I in 2024 reform my life, get to next levels of spirituality following the Lord? You actually have to commit to seek the Lord. Seek God. Let me show you what Josiah did. It says in 2 Chronicles 34, 3, you don't have to flip there, I'll read it to you, but 2 Chronicles 34, if you want to read that in your own studies, it actually tracks Josiah's story and adds a little more details here or there. So I'll refer to 2 Chronicles a little bit back and forth. But 2 Chronicles 34 adds something here. It says, in the eighth year of his reign, while he was yet a boy, now he's 16 years old, what I'm reading to you right here. So as a 16-year-old, Here's what he did. He began to seek the God of David, his father. And in the twelfth year, he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem and all their false altars from these false gods and carved images and metal images. As an eight-year-old boy, he's told, your dad's been assassinated, you got to reign the throne. He decides to do what's right. As a 16-year-old, he's come of age now and says, okay, I will do what's right and I will follow the Lord. I'll seek the Lord. I will, I will ignore what my father did. I'll ignore what my grandfather did. And I'll do what David did. I will seek the Lord. The three phrases I read to you again, he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. He walked in the ways of David, did not turn from the right or to the left. That means he stayed on the straight and narrow path of following the Lord. All at age 8 to age 16, and he's only stronger in his faith. I know at 8 I couldn't have ran a kingdom, much less at age 16. But imagine a 16-year-old who's been forced, basically, to reign over a throne of a country, has to figure out how to do that, and now is so spiritually minded, he says, I'll follow the Lord. I'll ignore what my father and grandfather did, who were terrible people. The Hebrew word here for seek is interesting That word seek means to look for and inquire about so you can follow it. So Josiah said, I know the key to my success is God, but not just saying it. Josiah took action is my point. He committed in his heart that if he was going to reign Judah and do the right things, he would have to search for God, sort of seek for God, but not just to find out knowledge about him so that he could actually follow God's ways. Josiah did this. He wanted to, three things, I believe, know God so he could follow God so that he could obey God. That is what I mean in my point, seek God. I don't just mean seek information about God. It does start there. You have to have knowledge of God to even know what we're supposed to do for God. But knowledge is not the goal. We learn knowledge about God so we know how to follow God to obey God. That's what Josiah did to seek the Lord. And that's the first step again in reforming your life. Seek God. But I want to stress this. It starts with even having that desire. Do you have that desire in 2024 to say to yourself, I really desire to have more of God this coming year than I did last year. I would like at the end of 2024 to be true about me, something like this, that I knew more about God, I followed more closely to God, and I obeyed God more than I ever have in my life before. What a worthy goal for 2024. But that's where it starts to reforming your life, to actually make that commitment to seek God like Josiah did. Do you have those three desires to know, follow, and obey God? 
I'll kind of refer to those as we keep going. But that's what Josiah did. That's where it started is the point. He wanted to know God, follow God, and obey Him. And that led to the rest of the things we'll look at now. It says uh, here that Josiah did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. He walked in the ways of David and did not turn right or the left. The last thing that we'll move on I want to draw your attention to is Josiah didn't just know God. He took action. He obeyed God. That's that idea again. He didn't turn from here or there. He stayed straight and obeyed God. I want to stress this. I'm repeating it, but I really cannot stress this enough. I really can't. I, could, I thought about we could make a whole sermon just on this point right here. It is never enough for you or I to just know God. It's never enough. Knowledge in and of itself is pointless. What you do with that knowledge is what matters. Someone once told me the difference in knowledge and wisdom is wisdom is, is knowing what to do with the knowledge you have. How to use it for good, how to use it for betterment. The Bible actually says if you just have knowledge, it just makes you arrogant. But if you know how to use knowledge, now that's something. Josiah knew God and he knew God well, but he didn't stop there. He took actions of obedience. That was the proof of how much he cared about God. Knowledge of God without obeying God, the truth is that actually shows no love for God. If you have knowledge of God, but don't use that to obey God, you can't prove you love God. Someone could say, I love God with all my heart. And the question to follow up to be, prove it. Well, I told you I love God. But how do you prove it? You'd have to prove it with, I obey Him, I live for Him. That'd be like saying, I love my family, prove it. Well, I, I mean, what if my wife, Ashley, we've been married, it'll be 14 years in January. I think it's 14. I know it's 14. It'll be 14 years in January. What if I told her on the day I married her, I love you until the day I die. And from that day on our wedding day, what if I never once said the words I love you, never took any actions of love, and just out of sheer force of her will, she chooses to stay with me for 14 years. But I keep telling people in public, I love my wife. What kind of love is that? I don't, I don't ever do anything to show love. I don't show actions of love. There's no proof of the love. You can say it all you want, but you have to have actions to back it up. Well, it's interesting because Jesus himself said something similar. He said this in John 14, 15. If you love me, me is Jesus. If you love me, Jesus said, you will do what? Keep my commandments. I find that interesting that Jesus could have said, if you love me, you'll say it a hundred times. If you love me, you'll mean it with all sincerity in your heart. No, he said, if you love me, you'll prove it. How? By actually doing what I told you to do. You'll keep my commandments. First John 15.10 says, if you keep, or excuse me, John 15.10, Jesus again says, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. So Jesus again says, how is it, Jesus, that I can stay strong and close to you and remain in this, this mutual love? Jesus said, obey me, keep my commandments. Take actions that prove you love me, he says. First John 5, 2 through 3 says, by this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and what? Obey his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. See, the, the false Christian says they love God, 
claims maybe even that Jesus is their Lord and Savior, but they made that profession way in the past and nothing ever changed. Their life never changed. They have no desire to serve the Lord, no commitment to the Lord. In Baptist life, we say the phrase, once saved, always saved. And I believe that. Doctrinally, I believe that. If you're really a child of God and saved, you can never lose your salvation. But that phrase can get carried away. Once saved, always saved, unfortunately, convinces people that because they prayed some prayer or said a few things about Jesus, that for the rest of their life, they're secure in heaven. But the Bible says, but you have to have proof to prove you're really a child of God. And the only way you can hang on to prove that you're a child of God is it's changed your life in some way that you can actually look to and you obey Jesus' commandments. You actually follow him. And that's what Josiah did. Josiah said, God, I want to seek you, but I just don't want to know you. I'm going to actually follow you with my actions. I'm going to trust you and I'm going to obey you. That's where it starts. Performing your life this year begins with committing to seek the Lord and committing means knowing more of God so you can obey more that God wants us to do. It's saying, God, I want you to have more of me because I want more of you. I want more knowledge of you so I can obey you more and follow you more. We spend our time and energies in life on so many things that if we're honest, at the end of the day, they are not that important. Compared to heaven, compared to God's kingdom, they're not that important. They're important to us now, and I'm with you. There's things I've been in on when I was younger, and I look back, I'm like, man, what? how much time I wasted in this thing. I spent so much of my effort in this that if I'm honest, it doesn't matter. But I promise you this. You can spend all your effort and your energies committing like Josiah did to know more of God, to obey and follow more of God. That will never be a waste of your time. Never. So put all your eggs in that basket and it'll pay off for you. So commit to seek the Lord. And the second way to reform your life is revive your worship to God. Josiah desired for the heart of Judah's worship to be restored. And what it was an actual building called the temple. What had happened is over time that temple had come under some attacks and not only attacks, but it had just deteriorated. It needed maintenance and upkeep. But for generations of kings before him, they were wicked. His grandfather and his father, they didn't care about the temple. They weren't worshiping God, so they let it fall by the wayside. It literally was cracking and breaking apart and had all these issues and they didn't care to take care of God's temple. The temple represented, though, God's presence among his people. And it was the heart where they were supposed to go worship the Lord there. So Josiah said, okay, I'm going to seek the Lord with everything I have. And I'm going to rebuild and repair the temple. Because that is the heart of where we worship the Lord. 2 Kings 22, 3-7, I won't read that to you, but that's where that section's found. He basically goes to the priest, he says, you take all the money that you priests have been collecting at the doors of the temple from the people and the taxes of the people. You take all that and you give it to the craftsmen to the, the workers of furniture and, and the woodworkers and the people that use gold and silver and they make things, take it to the, the masonry people and repair the whole temple. So he started a, a repair project. And they did it. They began repairing the temple and doing all the stuff there to make it be the way that it, they could be proud of it. My point here is, though, what Josiah was really doing is saying, I'm going to revive our worship back in Judah. We're going to get back to worshiping God the way we should have. And it started with fixing the temple. What's interesting is Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6, 19, 
that you and I, if you have the Holy Spirit of God in your heart, you are a walking temple of the Lord. He says, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. So I think there's a parallel here. He repaired the physical temple that they went to to worship God. You and I don't go to a physical temple to worship God. If you have the Holy Spirit living within you, you're a walking temple. But the question would be, is that temple healthy? Is it the way it should be? Is it properly prepared to worship the Lord? What I want to do then for the rest of the message really is going to be to simply explain how do I revive my worship then? So really two points. It's commit to the Lord is the first point. Seek the Lord. Secondly, revive your worship to God is how you get started reforming your life. But let's look real quick. How do I, though, revive this worship? Here's what Josiah did for the rest of the story. As they were repairing the temple, something happened. One of the workers found a book that had been hidden away and long forgotten. And when they opened the book and they started reading it, the priests all of a sudden realized what they had. They had the book of the law of Moses that God had handed down to his people. That was their Bible for their day. They ran it over to the priest. The priest then ran it to the King Josiah's scribe, sort of like his personal administrative secretary, and said, we have found the book of the law of the Lord. And the scribe began to read it. It says in 2 Kings 22, 8, Hilkiah the high priest said to Shaphan the secretary, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. Hilkiah gave the book to Shaphan and he read it. 2 Kings 22, 10, Shaphan the secretary told the king, Hilkiah the priest has given me a book. Shaphan read it before the king. Now look at what Josiah did. When the king heard the book, the words of the book of the law, he tore his clothes. That was a way that they showed deep remorse and sadness and sorrow. They would rip the outer tunic of their garments. Sometimes you read in the Bible, they would take ash and throw it over themselves. That was a visible way to show how deeply grieved in their heart that they were. So what Josiah is doing here is he's hearing the words of his Bible for his day being spoken to him. And he realizes we are a very, very wicked people. We have strayed far from the Lord. And he tears his clothes to show his regret and his remorse. And it says he commanded Hilkiah the priest and Ahiakim the son of Shaphan and Akbor the son of Micaiah and Shaphan the secretary and Asiah the king's servant saying, and here's what he said to do, go inquire of the Lord for me and for the people and for all Judah concerning the words of this book that have been found. For great is the wrath of the Lord that is kindled against us because our fathers have not obeyed the words of this book to do according to all that is written in it. So Josiah obviously had enough of a mentor somewhere along the way to educate him in how to follow the Lord. But this right here, they found the Bible basically for their day. And when Josiah hears this read to him, he realizes there's so much more we've missed. We have strayed so far from God and God will bring judgment. Because in the words of that book, I don't know exactly what part he read. Scholars debate this, but who knows? I know it was from the first five books of the Bible, Genesis through Deuteronomy. That's what they had recorded down. Well, he probably read the law part of that. And the, he probably read something about where God made a covenant with Israel and said, if you'll follow me and obey my words, I'll protect you and I'll bless you. I'll be your God and you'll be my people. But that covenant came with a curse. 
He said, but if you disobey me, if you run away from me, if you stray from me, if you basically turn your nose up at me, then I will bring discipline to correct you back to me. And that discipline will be through usually a foreign army, a stronger army to come and correct you back. And Josiah hears this probably and realizes we are in trouble. Because even the stuff he was trying to do, he hadn't fully gotten there yet with fixing Judah. They had temples to all kinds of gods. They had little altars on hillsides where they would go burn these sacrifices to these false gods. In fact, the Bible says in places that Israel had started taking some of their babies and burning them on fiery sacrificial altars to these false gods. That's how wicked they had gotten. And Josiah is following the Lord and hears this stuff and realizes we're in trouble. Here's the point for us that I want to draw our attention to. The next way that you begin reforming your life, you revive your worship, it's to let God's word humble you. We need to let God's word humble us. That's what Josiah did. He hears God's word spoken to him, and instead of defiantly saying, that's false, or I don't care about that, or that means nothing to me, he was broken in his soul. He regretted everything his father and grandfather had done to the point he realized we're doomed unless something changes. He let God's word break him down and humble him. He goes and inquires of a prophetess. I won't read it to you, but you can find it in verse 14. He goes and says, go go ask her to get a message from the Lord for me and say to her to say to the Lord on our behalf that we've discovered his word and we are sorry for breaking it. So they go and they inquire the Lord. And here's what God says back to Josiah through that prophetess. It says in 2 Kings 22, 18, "But but to the king of Judah who sent you, to inquire of the Lord, this is God talking. Thus you shall say to him, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, regarding the words that you have heard, because your heart was penitent and you humbled yourself before the Lord. When you heard how I spoke against this place and against its inhabitants, that they should become a desolation and a curse, and you have torn your clothes and wept before me, I also have heard you, declares the Lord. Notice a few things from this verse that God said good about Josiah. He said your heart was penitent. That's a fancy word to really just say your heart became soft and tender. Josiah heard God's word spoken to him, and instead of getting hard-hearted and arrogant, he got soft-hearted and tendered. He got humbled. He basically said, God's word is way up here and I'm low. I need to submit myself to God's word, not put myself over it. And God said, because you did that then, God basically said to him, I'm still bringing judgment, but I won't let it happen in your day, Josiah. I will postpone the judgment until you die and are laid to rest. But Josiah's heart was repentant. He let God's word humble him. And then in verse 3 of chapter 23, here's what else he did. The king stood by the pillar and made a covenant before the Lord to walk after the Lord and keep his commandments and his testimonies and his statutes with all his heart and all his soul to perform the words of this covenant that were written in the book, and all the people joined in the covenant. So what Josiah did was he humbled himself under God's word, listened to it, obeyed it, and now he says, I'm going to follow it. And not only that, I'm going to get the rest of Judah to follow along with me and follow God's word. He makes another covenant, basically, before the Lord and says, we're going to to recommit, basically, to get back to the word of God 
and doing what it says and following it. And by God's mercy and God's grace, then he will postpone the judgment and give us time to follow his will once again, like we should have been doing all along. The point for us would be this. Let God's word humble you. Not just humble you, but when you get in the Bible, when you get in God's word, when you read it, something will happen. God's word, the book of Hebrews says, it's living and active and it functions like a double-edged sword. And it cuts us to the very joining of our soul, basically, to our bodies. So if you will let it, when you read the Bible in 2024, humble yourself to say, whatever it says to me, I, I will listen to it to the degree that I will let it convict me. I will let it speak to me when I know in my heart I'm doing things that are wrong in my life. I will let God's word break me down and convict me. Josiah's heart became humbled as he listened to the word of God. What he basically did is he let it just break him down. That's what the Bible will do for us if we let it. If we're humble enough to say, God, you tell me what I need to be doing. Then as we read God's word, it'll break us down. But the beauty is it builds us back up. I've said it before. I've used the analogy and we have veterans in here who've gone through this. I haven't. But my understanding of any version of a military boot camp, no matter what service that there is, the very idea of it is to be broken down as that civilian that you came in as. You don't join the military as the civilian you were and, and it's a one for one. They say, yep, we can use you just as you are. No, they say we got to break you down and make you and build you up to be the service person we need you to be. Then you can do the job. The Bible's similar. It breaks us down tears us up, convicts us of all the things we're doing wrong. But then it says, now here's what you do, though. Here's the correction. Here's the loving rebuke that can build you back up to be the person God wants you to be. The idea is we need to let God's word have its effect in our hearts by being humble about it, not arrogant. Arrogance has no place in the life of a Christian. If you're arrogant, you'll never grow as a child of God. James 1.21 says, therefore put away all filthiness rampant wickedness, and notice this, he says, receive with meekness, that's humility, the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Receive the word of God, James says, with humility. If you have arrogance, you won't receive anything from God. So that's how Josiah began to revive worship. He let God's word humble him. And I would charge us in 2024 Get in God's word. Somehow, someway, just start getting in it. Even if you don't understand it all. I don't understand it all. Just start getting in it. But be humble enough to say, God, what I don't understand, I pray that you'll help me understand. And what's hard for me to stomach, I pray you'll help me stomach. So it'll change me to be the person I need to be. The next way Josiah revived worship is he waged war on sin. The next part of the story is when Josiah heard the book of the law read and he realized all the bad that they had been off into, he waged a massive war against all forms of false worship in Judah. I won't read it all to you, but simply to say this, he tore down all the false altars that his ancestors had built. He even rounded up the false priests and kicked them out of Judah. He even took the ashes of the dead false priests to the false gods, dug them up, sent them out of the land of Judah, didn't even want them to be buried in Judah anymore, completely purged Judah of anything that resembled 
what his grandfather and father had done that was wrong. He then went into the temple and took out any piece of furniture that had been dedicated to a false god, got rid of everything that remotely resembled something that was false against God. The point for us is, what Josiah was really doing is waging a holy war on sin. All versions of sin. If we want to revive our worship to God in 2024 and reform our lives, it's going to take us waging a war no less than he did on personal sin in our lives. What maybe holds you back from greater faithfulness to the Lord? What sin in your life is holding you back? Then the answer is to wage war on it. Eradicate it out of your life. Purge it out completely. Josiah didn't play around with this stuff. He wiped it out from the land. We should have no less of a passion about getting rid of all sins in our life. Listen to what Paul says in Colossians 3, 5-8. through 8. He uses strong language about sin. He says, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. And he gives a, a sampling here. Sexual immorality, impurity, passions, evil desires, covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. So again, Paul picks up on that language too and says, when you as a Christian think about the sin in your life, don't play with it. Don't think that you can tame it. He says, put it to death. Eradicate it. Get rid of all of it. That's what Josiah did. Josiah didn't say we can kind of have a portion of the land, do whatever they want to do. No, he said all of it's going to be purged. Anything false against God. So again, I'm worried as, as Christians, and I've been guilty of this too in my life, I'm worried that at times we think we can sort of play with sin. We get rid of the, some sin, but then there's other sins that we really like, and I'm worried we think we can domesticate sin. We can sort of tame it, make it our pet. We can put it up when we don't want anyone to see it, but we can get it back out when we want to engage in that sin. But the truth is we're lying to ourselves if we think we're taming anything. What's really happening is the sin is ruling over us. We're not ruling over it. Josiah knew that, and he said, I'm going to wage war on anything that's false and against God. And I suggest it's no less for us. Wage war on those sins in your life, those little pet sins, those things that you know, maybe even only you know them, those secret sort of closet sins. I assure you, whatever that is, that will hold you back from greater service and faithfulness to the Lord. You can only grow so far in your walk with the Lord as your sin will allow you to go. Now think about that. That means whatever sins you allow to remain in your life, that will be your cap, your limit, on how faithful you can be to the Lord. But eradicate more sins, and guess what? You can grow closer to God. You can serve God more faithfully. Josiah knew that, and that's what he did in Judah. The next thing he did is, once he got rid of the sin, he worshipped with passion. So how do I revive my worship? Well, the third step is worship with passion. But again, to get there, you have to first let God's word humble you, eradicate the sin in your life, and then you'll worship with passion. Here's what he did. He held a Passover feast. In 2 Kings 23, 20, 21 and 22, it actually says, the king commanded all the people to keep the Passover of the Lord your God as, as it is written in the book of the covenant. But it says that no such Passover had been kept since the days of the judges who judged Israel or during all the days of the kings of Israel or the kings of Judah. He worshipped so passionately with this Passover event 
that the Bible records there was not another Passover like it in all of Israel. It was such a passionate, heartfelt, worshipful event. And again, think about it. How did they get to that point? After they had let God's word humble them and got rid of all the sin, then they were sort of freed up to worship God with a passionate, pure heart for Him. Your worship to God will grow more authentic, will become more authentic once you've removed sin in your life. If you come in here and I come in here and we want to worship God but we're harboring sin, our worship's going to be limited. It'll become robotic. It'll become just sort of ceremony to us. Well, I worship today. Did we? Well, it's Sunday. I went to church. But is that worship? That's not worship. That's just showing up to something you do every week. Worship is from the heart. Worship is when we are eradicating sin and passionately serving and following the Lord. Then we come in here and we sing these songs of praise and now they mean something from the heart. That's what Josiah did. He committed to worship with passion. Sometimes we do just have to commit to worship. We have to say, I'm going to make this a part of my strategy to worship God more. How? Eradicate the sin. It's a commitment we make even if sometimes we don't feel like it. But maybe sometimes we don't feel like it because we're not spiritually where we need to be. Worship begins in your heart long before you or I walk in these doors of this church. Worship begins the Monday through the Saturday before church on Sunday when you and I are battling sins in our lives and seeking to humble ourselves before God in His Word. We need to be careful a little bit from thinking like this. I've said it too throughout my life when I'm about to share with you. But sometimes it's easy to go to church and we leave and we go to have lunch with our families and we may say something like this, you know, worship just wasn't very good today. Worship just wasn't, you know, what I thought it should be today. Church just wasn't really that great today. And we have our reasons, you know, the the pastor was too long or he was off on this or the worship was that, the music was off, whatever it may be. We've all done it. I've done it. But here's the thing. In the midst of those conversations, if you're tempted to have them, think like this first. Maybe before I critique the worship, I ask myself, but was my heart prepared to worship today? Was my heart where it should be before I walked in these doors today? Was my heart ready to listen to God's word and sing praises to him? If it wasn't, is it because I'm harboring pet sins in my life that sort of blind me when I walk in here? So I focus on all the other things rather than where my focus really should be, which is me and my heart with the Lord. Josiah got it right. It says in 2 Kings 23, 25, Before him, that's Josiah, there was no king like him who turned to the Lord with all his heart and with all his soul and with all his might according to all the law of Moses, nor did any like him arise after him. Think about what that just said. That includes King David, the man after God's own heart. And this says, no, David didn't even match Josiah. No one like Josiah said, I will follow God with everything I have. And look what it did. It led a nation in revival back to the Lord. The final step, though, in this process is this. If you do these things so far, commit to seek the Lord. And if you say, I'm going to revive my worship, which are the steps we've said so far, which was uh, to let God's word humble you, then to eradicate sin in your life. And you'll notice that your worship is much more passionate. But here's a danger now that we'll end on. You need to guard against pride, though. Sometimes when we get kind of spiritually on top, the spiritual highs, the danger is to now fall back down due to pride. 
Josiah, unfortunately, did this. He kind of was at the top of everything, the top of his kingdom, the top spiritually. Unfortunately, his story ends on a little bit of a negative note. It says in 2 Kings 23, 29, in the days of Pharaoh Necho, king of Egypt, he went up to the king of Assyria to the river Euphrates. King Josiah went to meet him and Pharaoh Necho killed him at Megiddo. Now here's the backstory though. Pharaoh Necho was going to help Assyria fight the northern tribes of Israel. He didn't want anything to do with, with Josiah. He wasn't in that battle with him. Second Chronicles 35 says, here's kind of the backstory though. Josiah went out in an army to meet Pharaoh. He was going to cut him off and have battle with Pharaoh of Egypt. The Pharaoh sent a message to Josiah, and here's the message. He sent envoys to him, that's Josiah, saying, What have we to do with each other, king of Judah? Pharaoh was warning Josiah, I'm not coming against you today in battle. Basically, he was saying in layman's terms, I don't have any quarrel with you, Josiah. Stay out of this. This isn't your fight. This isn't your business. Josiah was like, Nope, I'm coming to fight you. He goes on. He says, God has commanded me to hurry. Cease opposing God who is with me, lest he destroy you. Pharaoh was on his way to fight the northern tribes of Israel. And the ironic thing is, God told Pharaoh to do that as an act of discipline on the northern tribes of Israel. Josiah sees Pharaoh coming and says to himself, I can take you. God's on our side. I'll fight you. And Pharaoh warned him. He said, Josiah, you don't know what you're doing. Stay out of this. I'm actually on a mission from God, and you're intervening with that. My point is this. I think Josiah let some pride creep in. He got up on the spiritual highs, the height of his kingdom and everything, and he sees Egypt coming and says, I think I can get in on this battle. God will just help me out here because that's what he's been doing. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10, 12, Therefore let anyone who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. If you do these things and you begin to grow in your walk with the Lord, the constant battle you and I have to face is constantly guarding against spiritual pride. Saying, you know what, I, I've really got it going on. I am overcoming sin. I'm in my Bible every day. I'm praying every day. I'm doing all these things. Great, but don't let that lead to pride. Then you'll fall back down. Peter says in 2 Peter 3.17, You therefore, beloved, know this beforehand. Take care that you are not carried away with error of lawless people and lose your own stability. So you're stable and you're strong, but don't let your feet slip. It's unfortunate, but usually when we're on top spiritually is exactly when we can be hit the hardest because we're not watching for it anymore. We think we've got it all figured out now. So guard against that pride. Do you desire reform in 2024? I hope you do. Maybe in 2024 you just need to refocus your life on God. Reform your life for God's glory. How did Josiah do it? Commit to seek God with all that you have. Revive your worship by getting in God's word this year. Let the Bible humble you, break you down, but build you back up. Obey it. Wage war on sin. Don't let sin have any little part of your life. Then worship God with passion, but guard against pride. Maybe you're somewhere on that path, then wherever you find yourself on that path, keep going to the next thing. Maybe you are saying, you know what, I, I have work to do, but I really can believe that uh, I honestly have got a lot of good things going for the Lord. Then my challenge is watch out for the pride, though. Maybe someone this morning needs to start reforming their life because they've never come to Christ at all for the first time. That'd be my final charge to you. Do you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Have you repented of your sins? Have you come to Him by faith? 
Do you know beyond a shadow of a doubt He saved you from your sins and you will spend eternity in heaven with Him because of His death on your behalf? And He rose again, giving you eternal life. Do you have that kind of faith? Because that's where it starts. If you do, then the rest follows. I'm going to let God's Word humble me and build me into who I need to be. I'm going to obey Him with everything I have and worship Him passionately. I'm going to come down and offer a prayer for us as Bruce and them come. And as I do, I just ask you to pray that God would, before you leave here today, make sure you know Jesus. And if you do, then maybe ask God to reveal to you areas of your life you know this year you've really got to work on. Pray God to give you the strength to wage war on that. Would you join me in standing? And I'll pray for us. Lord Jesus, I thank you for stories like King Josiah's that took place so long ago yet have a very present-day spiritual truth. And I ask, Lord, that you, again, this is starting with myself. I'm not preaching to these people, Lord. I'm, I'm being preached along with them. But I ask that you would help each of us this year make a commitment like Josiah did to seek you with all of our being, our heart, our mind, our soul, our bodies, everything about us would be about you. That we would commit to seeking you. That we would commit to be in your word and let it humble us. We would wage war on sin and worship you passionately. And Lord, if we're moving on that path, then I pray you protect everyone here from pride. Keep us humble and keep us walking close to you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.